1: hello there and welcome to another episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast my name is adam burns i'm your host for this episode and join me once again my co-host courtney pine courtney how are you doing this evening you okay
0: yeah i'm doing great mate i'm looking forward to this one for various reasons
1: Good, glad to hear it. And uh, joining us for this episode, he's been on the podcast with us before, I think it was around the 70th anniversary GP. Uh, Great, insightful discussion with him, but he's joining us once again. It's Lee Wallington. Lee, first of all, welcome back to the DNF1 F1 podcast. I think you're the first guest that we've had on More Than Once. And uh, how are you doing this weekend?
2: Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me. And obviously, uh, like Courtney says, it's going to be an interesting conversation. I'm looking forward to having it, especially Compared to last time, there was no Courtney when I was on, so good to have a three-way discussion. <laughs> Absolutely right, that, yeah.
1: To <laughs> good to hear it. So um, obviously, first things first, guys, uh, we want to thank those of you that tuned into last week's episode of the podcast. Not only is it the most popular episode that we've had since we started this podcast eight months ago, but it's also the most popular video on YouTube. It even beat our uh, first part of the beginner's guide to formula one which of course we encourage you to check it out if you haven't already so first of all thank you to everyone that's checked that out really appreciate it and it just goes to show that for some of you it seems that we're going the right way in terms of what we're doing so thank you very very much for that moving on to yeah the topic much of-
0: appreciate it, folks
1: yeah moving on to the topic of this discussion lewis hamilton last week emulated Michael Schumacher's 91 race victories in Formula One is an incredible feat for Lewis. But of course, the reaction on social media was not 100% positive. And I think it's fair to say, for a very, very long time, Lewis Hamilton is arguably the most divided in terms of his opinion amongst the Formula One fan base. Uh, I think it's probably fair to say. So I'm going to put the question to you guys. So I'm going to start with Lee first. Why do you think that? Lewis Hamilton, the opinion of Lewis Hamilton, I should say, is so divided amongst the Formula One fan base.
2: Well, I I think you probably break it down into several uh, camps. Really, you probably got the two two different camps of purists to the sport. One being that oh, Lewis is a international celebrity more than a sportsman. He goes off to fashion weeks. He hangs out with celebrities in Hollywood. I'm like, well, that's not what Form 1 drivers do. They're supposed to sit in the car and drive. We don't like this. Well, go away and be a proper Form 1 driver. And then you have the other one going, oh, he's just uh, having a car at the front of the grid, winning no competition, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you probably have more of the older um, generation of fans that remember the greats from the past when health and safety wasn't as important as it is today and obviously we've come a long way from where it was which is good and obviously we can probably still go a lot further but they think oh, he's not risking his life as much and you have some of the greats that unfortunately lost their lives doing the sport they loved and it's uh, a shame for obviously losing them at the time but well Lewis he's, he doesn't have any risk it's, he's not obviously nowhere near the the previous legends um and that's probably where you could or at least where i see it the the three breakdown of why he's not popular
1: yeah i mean there's a lot of good points in there and i I think you're absolutely right you know he's proving to be more than just a formula one driver i mean we usually attribute sports men and women across all different sports around the world as being you know the best of the best top physical condition uh, athletes before anything else but when they tend to dip into the realm of being a role model someone that can influence change for the better a lot of the time they do tend to be attacked by a certain community of people and i think in lewis's case this is definitely not uh, not different you know lewis has been very outspoken um, in terms of achieving equality in the sport realizing that this is very much a sport dominated by a specific demographic of people, and not necessarily laying blame or targeting it in terms of not doing enough, but saying that we need to be looking at why Formula One in particular is represented by a specific demographic and not represented more equally across different areas. And as you said, Lee, you know, he's, as well as being a brilliant driver, he is currently competing in an era which some would probably argue to be similar to dominant periods that we've seen in the past when Schumacher dominated 10, 15 years ago, Um, you know, the domination of McLaren and Williams in the early 90s and late 80s, you know, those periods that you see the top drivers tend to dominate for a few years and fans tend to turn away from the sport or at least think less of the driver that is dominating purely and simply because, you know, it's quite easy for them. And I think that does a disservice to Lewis, but of course, we're not going to talk about that too much. I see Courtney, when Lee was given his opinion on what was going on, you quite nodding on, your you nodding your head a little bit. Would you agree with Lee's yeah. comments?
0: Yeah, I find it a shame to be honest. I mean, I like, am looking from even a British perspective. Now, I can't think of many people that have excelled in the sport from British perspective as much as Lewis has. I mean, the only one I can think of at the top of my head is Fielder Power Taylor when it comes to darts. But uh, this is an F one podcast, so I won't go too deep into that one. And I just don't understand why he doesn't get the level of recognition that I feel that he deserves. Lee made some great points. You know, you've got the older fans that do have this like purist like feeling about, you know, it was a lot more dangerous back in the day. That isn't Lewis's fault. Lewis is basically making the best of the situation that he has, and that's the same with the other point when it comes to having the best car. Now, going on to that point, I'd be a hypocrite if I was to say I don't understand why people get frustrated by his uh, dominance of the sport, because the Schumacher dominance popped me off. And I was quite salty. I'm not going to lie. I was salty when Vettel was dominating. So I understand why some fans, particularly, you know, or fans of Ferrari and Red Bull might be, get frustrated about Lewis's dominance. But you've got, sometimes you've got to take a step away and just accept greatness. Because I don't feel that a lot of people will appreciate what Lewis has achieved until he retires. And I feel that when Lewis retires, it wouldn't surprise me if you start seeing a similar level of dominance by the likes of Verstappen, and it'd be interesting to see if Verstappen gets the credit, well, the level credit that Lewis does, if he dominates in the same way.
1: It's an important point you mentioned, Courtney. Um, I mean, you did mention Phil the Power Taylor is a good example to compare. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know, Phil Taylor, uh, the most decorated darts player of all time, and unlike Lewis Hamilton, despite his Incredible dominance and success, probably dominated the sport more than any other sports person has dominated their respective sports, mm. perhaps with the exception of one or two like AP McCoy, perhaps a horse racing, um, you know, and a few footballers if you can think of. But Phil Taylor, rather than be criticized for his dominance, was revered. He was treated like the legend and hero that he was of the sport. If anything, took the sport to the heights that it celebrates today, mm. a large part mm. of it. And unfortunately in Lewis's case, despite achieving similar feats in his sport compared to others, he's not really given that same recognition. So is it perhaps the dominance on its own or are there other reasons? As Lee mentioned already, you know, he's a brand ambassador for, Mm. uh, you know, a few companies around the world. He enjoys going to fashion shows, very much outspoken about the environment. Of course, the uh, the veganism, that he has adopted over the last couple of years, you know, enjoying a healthier lifestyle, not just for himself, but for the planet, all of that that comes into it, you know, I mean, I'll pinpoint that one in particular because I think that that's quite relevant to why the opinion of him is so divided. It's almost as if, like, some fans on social media will target Lewis and attack him for saying, well, you preach about veganism to save the animals or save the environment, yet you get paid to drive a Formula One car and contribute a large amounts of co2 emissions now of course efficiency in the sport is so much better than it ever has been before and that will continue to be the focus point going forward we're never going to go back to you know v8 or v10 or v12 engines massive gas guzzler engines well you know energy efficiency is the way forward and these engines are as good as they've been but with that in mind it's never going to be as good as something like formula e until formula e gets to a point where um that you know they can compete on the same level of performance as well as being 100% efficient so do you feel that those you know those arguments about Lewis are fair Uh, you know as a role model he wants to speak out and be someone's you know to invoke change in the environment and everything else whilst driving in Formula One or do you feel that's something that people will take more seriously once Lewis has stopped competing in the sport um Lee I'll put that to you first
2: Okay. Um, well, I I would say they probably both points have some merit. Um, I mean, if if you recall, I think it was twenty eleven where Lewis had a horrible year. Obviously, his personal life over, uh, over spilled into his job. Obviously, the breakup with his um, girlfriend at the time. I can't remember her name. Um, and he Nicole kept, That's the one thing he called <laughs> me. Um, and he kept uh, hitting Massa for. Uh, Life me, he always seemed to be in the same pit of track, and Lewis had always come off the worst. But um, so in that in that sense, yeah, it being distractions, um, being the, uh, the extracurricular activities outside of Formula One, so to put it, can be distracting. But Lewis has proven over the last few years that that's no longer a distraction. He sorted that he sorted that out. He he can do both and still come off stronger and get come back every year and get better. So initially when those points were raised, they were probably valid, but I don't think they're valid anymore. Um, And then secondly, uh, the aspect of, I've got my second point. (laughs) What was the second question, Adam? So, uh, I mean, the
1: second part was, you know, do with the criticism that Lewis gets in terms of, you know, his vegan lifestyle and also a more environmentally friendly approach do we think he'd be taken more seriously than he currently is on those issues when he steps away from formula one because obviously lewis has hinted at moving away from formula one and it's no secret that he has avenues and ventures that he likes pursuing like fashion uh, his businesses the environment also um, his music as well do you think he'd be taken more seriously once he steps out of formula one
2: um, for, for Lewis, I would say, yeah, he probably will be taken more seriously in, in his driver legacy once he does step away from the sport. I hope it's not anytime soon. I personally thoroughly enjoy his driving. Um, but yeah, you, you know, if you look back at losing Schumacher's example, um, when Schumacher did retire the first time, it took a couple of years to sink in what Schumacher had actually done once he walked away and he wasn't actually dominating the sport anymore really right? he lost um, the 2005 and 2006 to Alonso but still then he hadn't sunk in um, what he actually achieved uh, so in that sense what Lewis is achieving currently will take some time um, to come into the fan base and be appreciated by pundits and the general um, fans and then on, secondly, Lewis has, as you said, he has adopted a vegan lifestyle. And I, I think I do recall that when he did adopt the vegan lifestyle, he did sell off his private jets. Um, so he did try to reduce his carbon footprint. All right. Mm-hmm. Yes, correct. He does. Driving a four-in-one car does um, provide a good amount of uh, carbon em- dioxide emissions, but... As you said the efficiency is at an all-time high and you could probably say formula mm-hmm. one as itself doesn't do enough to advertise the the engines and the the science behind the engines and what they actually do is and um, it's as you said it's not like the v8s or the v12s and the amount of pollution they were um outputting as they went around the tracks and um, so we could probably say although we have more tracks now than 10 15 years ago they're probably doing less polluting now than they did 15 years ago. Um, so it's, it's just the way of Formula One probably needs to step up, but yeah, it's just people have to have time and absorb what's going on. It's, it takes time.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And um, I, I mean, looking at Lewis's career, even if he was to retire today, stacks up there with pretty much anybody in the sport. And there are a lot of people that would consider him not just up there with the likes of Schumacher, Senna, Fangio in particular, but eclipsing all for, all of them. Um, Me personally, I don't quite share that opinion quite yet. Uh, I still think there's more to it. And of course, for those of you that are listening to this podcast, uh, for the next few months... Uh, In the off-season, we're going to be doing a a few different kind of show ideas. Uh, One in particular was going to be comparing drivers from different eras to obviously see who we would think would win uh, in equal setting. But, of course, we'll talk more about that as the months go on, obviously, when the season comes to its climax. In terms of Lewis's career so far, obviously, as I said already, a very much divided opinion. I would say that it's probably a bit unfair in certain cases that certain media outlets have portrayed Lewis in a very uh, less than tasteful light. I'm not going to go into why that is because loads of people could offer different opinions. And I think we can compare that to treatment of people in other sports that hold similar characteristics to Lewis Hamilton out of his control. As I said, I'm not going to go into that because that opens up a completely different debate, but would it be fair to say Courtney, that the media Uh, negative opinion of Lewis Hamilton and I'm going to focus on the negative more than the positive in this case do you think that's influenced a lot of fans opinion on Lewis Hamilton and for example as Lee mentioned already selling his private jets Um, a couple of years ago there was a story about Lewis Hamilton not paying the correct amount of tax on his private jets when he purchased it and in particular uh, I'm not going to quote the paper I think you and we all know which one it was Um, but They basically said that Lewis Hamilton's company had claimed the input tax on the jet. And basically what that means for those of you that don't know is that when you buy uh, a jet, in this case, if it's owned by the company, you can claim input tax on it, which basically means the tax that you paid when you purchased it, you can claim that money back if it's a business expense rather than a personal one. And if you use it for, I think it was like $11,000, uh, Nautic miles over a month something like that but basically what had happened is Lewis Hamilton you know had, you know it, it was his company had done the right thing they'd followed the rules accounting rules correctly and tax rules with HMRC it was all above board but this particular media outlet weren't interested in that they just saw that Lewis Hamilton claimed I think it was like a million dollars 11 million dollars worth of tax back from this purchase and just ran a story saying lewis hamilton is avoid- avoiding tax or he's not paying tax and naturally loads of people are going to respond to that with a very negative opinion of lewis even though it's not fair or not accurate would you say in general using that as an example that the media has played yeah. quite a big part in building this divide or creating this divided oh. opinion of lewis hamilton
0: I definitely agree with that to an extent. I mean, I've noticed this since the start of his Formula One career. Now, we all know how chaotic it was between him and Alonso um, in 2007. But let's just give it some perspective. They they were so quick to criticise him. Now, every single Formula One driver is a bit of a diva. Let's be honest. They are. okay. they're used to winning, and you're getting what they want. And that's how they've that's the mentality that's given them that winning mentality to get them to where they were at that point. He's a 22-year-old man, and he's already thrown straight into a, a championship battle. He's bound to be very emotive, but instead of getting behind, instead of getting behind him, even from 2007, constantly on his case about how he's spoiled, how he's um, he's a sore loser. Well, guess what? If you if you have an issue with losing, you ain't gonna want to do it often. And look how it's transpired. He's gone on to be statistically one of the best one one drivers of all time. But throughout his career, they've constantly been on his case about one thing or the other. Now, as a fan of his, within reason, I don't care what he does outside of the sport, as long as it doesn't affect how he performs on track. And as Lee touched on earlier on, in recent races, it definitely hasn't. If anything, it's helped him. And even if you look at the veganism, you could even say that the veganism has helped him stretch his career out. That definitely is an option. And, you know, whenever I speak to... um, people that like non-F1 fans and I'll speak about Lewis Hamilton, you never hear about like them congratulating about how well he does. It's usually about the tax or about how you, how we spoil. And even like um, a girl that I know, I I was telling her about, you know, how well Lewis has been doing. So yeah, but I don't like him because um, he's made his dog vegan. I don't care about that. I only care about as a Formula One fan, I care about what Lewis Hamilton does on track. And, you know, you're both right. I just don't feel he'll get the level of appreciation that he deserves until long after he's gone.
1: Mm. No, I absolutely agree with that sentiment exactly. Um, Lee, I'll put that question to you as well. Do you think the media in general have betr- helped uh, in great deal to portray this divided opinion of Lewis Hamilton?
2: Well, especially the British media, yeah, you could you could argue that point. And, and I mean, I, I don't like going towards the, the race card but he's the first black driver in the history of Formula One. And you, you see, using a, a parallel example, like different people. So um, I'm just using it as an example. Um, you look at how the British media treated um, Meghan Merkel, and how that one thing that Kate would do and then Merkel would do exactly the same and she gets slated for it. And you could put that parallel that obviously... Previous British drivers have won on championships and they've never been slaved at all. Even like you look at Hunt, and he, he was never, he did a lot of extracurricular activities and unorthodox <laughs> things, and he, he wasn't slaved. They all did, that's right. Um, but Lewis does a, a, a slightly little thing, and the media will go, oh, yeah, he can't do that. Oh, that's completely unacceptable.
0: Because um, if you remember, Lee, sorry, Lee, sorry to interrupt Lee, but if you remember rightly, if you ever look from 2008, OK, and the reaction to this. Like Lewis won that championship in the most dramatic and brilliant ways. OK, there wasn't really that much of a fuss about it, but next season when Jensen won, God, it was everywhere. He yeah. was he was the main man, he was the hero. And you're right, there was definitely a contrasting feeling between when Lewis won compared to when you had the likes of Button, Hunt, Mansell. I completely agree with you, mate. Yeah, Um.
2: Yeah, thank you, Courtney. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, I, I think... It, it, Obviously, I don't know how the British media completely works. I'm not a, a media specialist, but maybe there is an underlying tone on the race card that's affecting the media how the media feel like they should portray Lewis. Um, which then feels on, and not saying that anyone's racist here or anything like that, but yeah, it's it's, a, it's potentially another factor that could still be considered as much as that person to say. Um, yeah, it's just just another, just another angle on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an element of unconscious bias in some cases, and in some cases more blatant. Um, I mean, we've seen in other sports, I'll pick another person in particular, Raheem Sterling. His treatment in the past in the press Mm -hmm. has been less than savoury, I think it's probably fair to say, compared to other athletes that have done much worse in terms of their behaviour have not been treated as harshly or at least portrayed in the same way. And I think in Formula One, naturally, with someone like Lewis Hamilton, the one thing that does stick out compared to the other drivers without even watching anything else is the fact that, as you pointed out already, he's the first black driver in the sport. And there are certain undertones from some people, not accusing people in this case of you know, racial bias in this way, but it's taken a while for some people to appreciate and exact except that someone from Lewis's background and, you know, someone someone like Lewis can dominate the sport in the way that he has. And these these are kind of the, the walls that need to be broken down. And within Formula One, there is some progress. There's still a long way to go. And I think Lewis should be revered for the fact that he's taken on this role as the ambassador for diversity and change, not necessarily one that's been thrown at him because it could have easily been, but he's definitely stood up um, you know, taken the knee, encouraged other drivers to do so, or at least protest in their own way. Um, you know, what he did in Magello with the, sh- you know, wearing the shirt for Breonna Taylor um, on the podium, which drew out a lot of conversation on social media afterwards, whether people were in favour of it or not. And certain measures the FIA were going to introduce following that. So... It's one of those where I agree a lot of people's opinions of Lewis Hamilton have been influenced by the media, some good, some not so much, but whatever your opinion of Lewis Hamilton, I think we can all agree the only one that matters is what you think of him as a driver and what he does on the track. You can either be favourable or against that, but in terms of measuring who he is as a person... If you're going to educate yourself on Lewis Hamilton based on what you read in the press or what you see from so and so on social media, whether it's good or bad, that's not the right opinion to have, or at least it's not the relevant information that you've received. Other than going out to watch him at a circuit or watch him on TV, if you like the way he drives, great. If you don't, that's fine. But at least. Be fair to the the person on what he does in his sporting career rather than think that you understand who he is as a person based on what you see on TV or in in the papers. I think sometimes not enough people or sports uh, athletes, if you like, are actually judged in that way. But then there are others that could do no wrong in their eyes just because they're good at a sport. I mean, again, not to knock him for this, um, I'm not going to get into this, but good example, look at Ryan Giggs as an example someone who was revered as a footballer had an incredible career but obviously stories that came out in his personal life that were well that were less than favorable i suppose without getting into it too much (laughs) um just looking at the time obviously i think it's probably a good way to actually end part one um before we do that i'm gonna put a question to you and courtney given lewis's current contract situation obviously still got to be confirmed whether or not he's staying whilst I imagine we expect him to stay uh, beyond his current contract and sign a new one with Mercedes. How long do you feel that it's going to be a two question actually. First of all, how long do you feel Lewis will continue at Mercedes in his next contract, assuming he signs one and including this one, how many more world championships do you think Lewis will win? And uh, I'm going to ask Courtney, I'm going to ask you that first.
0: Um, I think given that there isn't going to be a massive change in regulations next season and um, Toto Wolf recently commented that he stopped developing this year's car and is already looking towards next season, you really wouldn't put, uh, pull it past and winning next year's world championship. And unless Bottas ups his game massively, I can't see anything apart from Lewis winning an eighth world championship. But it all comes down to the changes that happen after 2022. So I wonder if Lewis will probably have a three-year contract well, after, yeah, so one and then, yeah, so then three. Um, it'd be interesting to see if they, if he isn't dominant in 2022 and, shall we say, the Max Verstappen era starts. It'd be interesting to see how we react to that, but he'll definitely
2: be around for 2022 at least.
1: And uh, what about you, Lee?
2: I would start for agreeing with Courtney that I would imagine it'd be a, a three-year contract. Um, get, obviously, through these the stagnant rules for next year because due to COVID... Um, and then a two years under the new formula at the very minimum. Um, There may be extensions added to the contract, but I would have said it's a three-year contract. Um, And then, obviously, the second part of the question, I agree again with Courtney that next year will probably be another Lewis title. Obviously, you just need to look at 2016 and see it doesn't always go how the predictions um, would go, but I would expect Lewis to have a good uh, chance of winning next year. Um, and then if you go to like what comments that Toto Wolf has said about, as Courtney previously said, that they're not developing this year's car, they're already developing next year's car. And so if they can come out of the blocks super uh, early, be really fast next year, they can put all their limited resources because obviously you got the limited resources I think comes in from next year about their era development, if I'm not wrong. Um, and then they can put that towards 2022 because they can't obviously start developing that until next year. So yeah, they they could potentially uh, they've already done several uh rule restructures and come out still winning. Um, so Lewis could go on if Mercedes Master right with a good chance of 2022 and beyond. Um uh he obviously it could just be dreamed that he may actually reach 10 even. Um, but I don't think that's probably realistic. Um but he he'll, he'll be up there fighting and I think he'll He'll want to keep being in the sport as long as he's competitive. He won't do a yeah. Kimi Ryakin and race for front. Yeah, definitely agree with that as one. As much as we all love Kimi.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely agree with that one. And uh, looks like, you know, Kimi might be around for another season yet. So we'll have to wait and see how that develops. Although nothing is confirmed at this time. But uh, I think that's a good opportunity to end part one. So it's hopefully quite good and uh, attentive discussion. There. Let us know what you guys think as well if you're listening in. Uh, what you think the opinion is of Lewis Hamilton? Do you think he's treated fairly in the media? Do you think the opinion of him is fair in general? And uh, as I, as I just asked the guys now, how long do you think Lewis is going to continue in the sport? Do you think he'll retire at the end of the season? Do you think he'll stay on? And how many more world championships do you think he will win? But uh, in the meantime, that's uh, enough to wrap it up for part one. Grab yourself a drink, take a break for a few minutes, and we will see you in part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. The DNF1 F1 podcast is a brand new show that covers the latest gossip, news and events in the world of Formula 1. In each episode, we discuss the hot topics, interview guests, as well as review each race from the Formula 1 World Championship. We upload new episodes weekly and we upload our podcast episodes on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Play. We also upload video versions of every podcast episode on the DNF1 F1 Podcast YouTube channel, as well as other great content that you can check out. So make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and click the notifications bell so you don't miss out on any new content that we produce. You can also follow and engage with us on social media. The DNF1 F1 Podcast is now active on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast welcome back to part two of the dnf1 f1 podcast so in part one we discussed the controversy with lewis hamilton why the opinion of him is so divided amongst the f1 fan base and the community alike and any contributing factors that we feel may have contributed to a positive or negative reaction of him so moving into part two something a little less controversial uh, compared to the Lewis Hamilton stuff. We have obviously been keeping an eye on the news th- this last week and one in particular surrounds uh, El Nino himself, Fernando Alonso, who, for those of you who don't know, is returning to the sport in 2021 with Renault or they will be called Alpine to uh, replace the name of the Renault team pretty much the same team just with different branding for next season um did you guys see Fernando do the uh filming day with Renault which is obviously only the 100 kilometers of running so it's only limited to around 15 laps or so around the Catalunya circuit in Barcelona but did you guys check that out what did you think yeah I saw it was that
0: the um uh, 2020 car
1: Yes, yeah, so Fernando was running the current spec car oh, interesting. as permitted. So uh, under normal circumstances, when you're testing, the younger drivers like Ferrari did a couple of weeks ago with Schumacher, Lot and Schwartzman, They were only allowed to run the 2018 spec car, as Yuki Tsunoda also was uh, not testing, but getting seated fitted in the 2018 Alpha Tauri car. And Uh, Alonso doing the filming day with Renault permits them to do 100 kilometers of running with uh, non current spec tyres, so specifically designed um, to not replicate the current tyres or anything like that. So they couldn't gather any data. But he was allowed to do 100 kilometers of running for a filming day with the Renault team in the current 2020 car, just to get a feel of the car before he takes part in the younger driver test later on in the year. Uh, Fernando himself had a few comments from the events, particular. Um, quite surprising here that in even though it's quite limited running, that Fernando was not able to extract the maximum out of the car. He said, quite honestly, that there was still a lot in that car that he needed to learn, despite only being out of the sport for just a few years. So, you would have thought, how much would he be unfamiliar with these cars? But he did say, you know, there's a lot to learn in this car. You know, a lot of incremental margins to sort of understand and learn in future tests. And obviously, as he builds up his preparations for next season. But encouragingly, he did say it was by far the fastest Formula One car that he had ever driven. And that he was very, very impressed with what the Renault team had put together uh, in the last couple of years since he had left the sport. So, you know, lots of encouraging signs for Fernando Alonso. I, I guess the question I have to ask you guys, uh, Leo. Ask you first: Is are you excited to see Fernando Alonso back? And do you feel that this is the uh, this, this is the catalyst, I suppose, for Renault, or is it will be Alpine to sort of make headways into competing for more regular podiums and maybe even race wins?
2: Oh, uh, firstly, I would say, yeah, of course, I'm excited for Alonso to come back. In my opinion, you should never have left, but he didn't have. Any options, or he didn't feel like he had any options of wanting to stick around the back of the, in, in the grid, the grid. Get my words right. Sorry, um, back of the grid, in a, at the time a very poor performing McLaren, um, which they obviously have improved themselves. Um, so I'm glad he's back, and especially on the current performance of the runner this season, he could could be uh, towards the front end of the grid, um, which is more where I would like to see Alonso to be perfectly honest um, and in regards to the his actual comeback I mean, I, I hope he hasn't gone the way of Schumacher when Schumacher came back from his first retirement and never up to speed or lost that edge but he's, with those odd moments of brilliance, being only out a couple of years hopefully the cars haven't progressed that much that Alonso's left behind, I mean, it's the fastest car he ever driven but mclaren was appalling and the cars are so fast now that the last time you had a, a good performing car they were so slow by today's standards yeah. um so i would i like to think that with the rebranding and then obviously they still the restrictions of next year and then they have obviously the coming restrictions with this is it next year they have the sort of the the budget um restrictions is that next year or 2022 they start like, so um, it starts
1: in 2022 um, it retrospectively compared to the new rules, it was a year earlier than they envisioned. Um, but they are going to be monitoring it from 2021. So, this is kind okay. of a little test to see who is sticking to the rules and if there's anyone exceeding. I mean, let's be honest now that they've frozen development on the 2022 the 2021 cars, at least until uh, the start of the next year, I think January 1st is when the, the teams can start working on the 2022 cars again. Um, owing to them being pushed back a year because of covid i expect a lot of investment and resources being thrown in particular to that car given that the 2021 cars that we're going to see next season are probably going to be slower because of the reduction in downforce uh, for certain things but you'd be surprised how much the teams can recoup from that and also the limited amount of development they can actually do on the car with the uh, token system that they have, um, they're going to be quite limited on what aero parts they can do for non-listed parts, and also the engine development as well is very limited. So um, you're going to be seeing a lot of teams spending a lot of money on these 2022 cars. So I'd expect the test that they're going to put in for the budget cap to show teams spending a lot higher than the budget cap, which will come into action at the start of the 2022 season.
2: Okay, thank you. um So I was going to just quickly then finish up my point, and so. Courtney, answer your question is that based on how the Renault is performing at the moment, and Alonso comes back at his full power, rest, Alonso can be annoying for the top teams. I mean, top teams in Mercedes and Red Bull, I'm not counting Ferrari at the moment. Um, especially if Albon is kept on for next year, Alonso will be a nuisance because he won't, he won't have a, uh, a race winning car on sure, pure performance, but it's Fernando Alonso. Is. <laughs> he already adds tenants into the car just the way he drives. Uh, obviously, before he um, stepped away from the sport, mm. so hopefully he can he still has that performance when he comes back.
1: And uh, yeah, definitely right. And uh, Courtney, I think I'll put this to you as well. Um, in particular, for Fernando Alonso, obviously we've seen him make the first step to his return to Formula One. Mm. It's going to be a different environment to what he was used to back in his uh, in his heyday when he won back-to-back world championships in 05 and 06 with the Renault team. Still to date, Renault's only championships uh, that they've had. What do you think Fernando needs to do to get the absolute most out of this car? And perhaps if he is the missing link to the Renault revival, what do you think he has to do? Uh, in particular this time round to make that a success for him because this is the third time he's going to be with Renault and obviously the first reunion back in 08 got him a couple of wins in Singapore and in the Japanese Grand Prix of Fuji but after that it didn't really bear much success so what does he have to do different this time?
0: I think first of all um, I'm sure he will but it'd be important he gets a lot of uh, a lot of mileage um, underneath him before next season because uh the uh, Formula 1 grid is as competitive as ever. So, he, he can't afford to go back into sport, particularly with um, Ocon as well as a teammate. He can't afford to be coming in not 100%. Um, but let's try and be positive about this one, though, because this could be brilliant going into next season if it all works out. Um, he, he, did, he does have some experience. So, we did some World Endurance Championship stuff with to- um, Toyota. Toy- uh, oh, God, Benji got their Toyota, uh, didn't he? So, yeah. Uh, he done that. Um, I know it's not quite a Formula 1, but he has been kind of keeping himself going. But let's just hope. And I wonder if he did know um, about Renault's development because he did seem keen to come back. And uh, I'm sure he wouldn't have been keen to come back if he thought he was going to be in a failing card next season. But let's try and be really optimistic and think of ways the next season could be interesting. Let's just think hypothetically here. Imagine if Renault make another step forward and Red Bull start slowly. We could be seeing a few battles between uh, Max Verstappen and Fernando Alonso next year. Wouldn't we love that?
1: certainly would be fun to see absolutely and uh I, I think you're right to point out his ventures in the world endurance championship where he won at le mans very successful time yeah. there um obviously had his ventures in indycar which didn't prove to be successful i think the first time round he very nearly won the race but if it weren't for ironically the uh honda engine given out on him as it so often did in formula one towards the latter end of his mclaren GP2 days
2: <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> the gp2 engine yeah Um, I mean, that was quite ironic when in the Indy race, the Honda engines looked very good compared to Chevrolet and Alonso was in the leading pack with his teammates. And unfortunately it was the Honda engine that gave out, but then his teammate Takuma Sato ended up going on to win that race. Another former Formula One driver, uh, winner of Indy. So, you know, there was that, the Dakar race, you know, that he did. He, He never really was able to spend enough time to get up to speed. He was kind of just jumping into these events and, hoping that his natural talent, that a lot of people do praise Alonso and the fact that you can take information so quickly, but you kind of have to lend yourself to the fact that he wasn't giving himself enough time to prepare, Uh, you know, with respect to some of the other more seasoned drivers in those categories. So, you know, perhaps that why why the results didn't come for him, uh, particularly in Indy and Dakar, and why he seems more keen to come back to Formula 1. I think in Renault's case, the fact that, they were able to entice them with their development program and the improvements that they've made in this season. And bear in mind, we're talking about a team that has really struggled in the turbo hybrid era to make headway and develop a car and an engine combination that can see them compete for podiums until, as we saw last week with Daniel Ricciardo's first podium for Renault and Renault's first podium in nine years since Nick Heifeld in 2011. So I think Fernando probably would have joined the Renault team Anyway, I think he was looking for a seat in Formula One, but it just seems to be a happy coincidence for him that this Renault team is making progress and that Fernando, as you mentioned, Courtney, may not be looking towards somewhere like Red Bull in the next year or two. He may think, actually, this Renault thing might work out longer term for him. I mean, he's on a two-year contract, but Formula One drivers, as we've seen, are getting older and older and older and still carrying on in the sport as good as they've been. So it might be an option for Fernando. Um, I'm going to ask a question to lee that i asked you last week courtney um for those of who remember okay. last week's episode i talked about daniel ricardo's podium how successful that was for him and for Renault. and in hindsight does he do you feel that he might regret going to mclaren next season says so, lee i'm gonna ask you this uh, question do you think after the, his podium last weekend and seeing the progress that Renault has made uh, to the point where they're now arguably the best of the rest outside Red Bull Mercedes. Do you feel that Daniel Ricciardo might be regretting his earlier decision to leave the team in 2021 and sign with McLaren?
2: I don't think uh, Ricciardo is regretting it. Obviously, he's, he's the driver in form at the moment, outside of the top teams. Um, but I, I don't think he's regretting it um, from two points, obviously, firstly, as, as a driver, I don't think they can ever doubt their decision-making and thinking, oh, no, I've made the wrong choice just impacts his performance. So he, he just can't let himself think like that. Um, and secondly, the, the reason why he signed for McLaren, uh, albeit uh, partly influenced by Renault's own performance, but McLaren had been on an upward tra- trajectory um, actually since Alonso left, <laughs> ironically <laughs> enough. Um, and they, they are in a close fight for that third place with McLaren and also Racing Point in the Constructors' Championship. So at the moment, Renault could still finish fifth and McLaren could still finish third. And statistically, um, Ricardo would be going to the better performing team in the Constructors' Championship. So it's still to, to say on that front, obviously, because that's still going to be a close battle. But the fact that McLaren are going to get a Mercedes engine, which now, Ferrari uh, isn't the best in the sport. Mercedes is. Um, so having that engine in the back will help. Um, all right, the McLaren are going to be limited in what they can do, obviously changing the engine. They do have their tokens that are put in towards redesigning the car, which may put McLaren back down the order next year. But he's all the drivers now are thinking about 2022. That's the the big change and I I just don't think he's going to let himself second guess his decision
1: no I absolutely agree with that um it's kind of ironic because when he made that decision to go to McLaren to replace Carlos Sainz who was moving to Ferrari and I'm pretty sure Daniel Ricciardo was in the running but for I said on this podcast I would have preferred Daniel Ricciardo two carlos signs given the fact that daniel is at the peak of his powers at the moment in some regards he's probably driving even better now than he was in his red Bull days and now that he's got on top of the car you could argue that perhaps he could have given renault a bit more time but given their track record in the turbo hybrid era it seemed like the sensible decision to do so it's kind of a catch-22 really perhaps he, you know alter- in an alternate universe he stays with renault someone else gets that McLaren seat, say, oh, Fernando Alonso. I know, strange, probably wouldn't happen. But, you know, say he goes to McLaren, all of a sudden Renault is still dropping, knowing that Mercedes engine is coming, and he's thinking, oh, you know, what have I done? I've missed all the opportunity. So, you know, I agree. I don't think Daniel will regret the fact that he's gone to McLaren, but it would have been interesting to see if he'd given his team a bit more time, how he might feel about moving to McLaren now, when, by contrast, although we expect them to improve, they are slowly falling down the order, well, at least compared to Renault Racing Point, but it's very incremental in that midfield battle and it's so tight, it can change week to week. Uh, Of course, the next race, we could see Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz get on the podium themselves. I mean, Lando very nearly did at the Nürburgring when he went through his engine troubles as well. So moving from... The Alonso story, because obviously we're all excited to see Alonso back, but some other driver transferers as well. So there's been a lot of news this week regarding the situation at Red Bull. Now, if we rewind back to Mugello a few weeks ago, when Alex Albon got his first podium for the Red Bull team, huge momentous occasion for his career and for the team as well. I think we would have expected Alex, after he got that off his back, to press on and perhaps perform a bit more consistently and get closer to Verstappen than he had been in the past and perhaps competing for podiums in the future that hasn't really happened in the last couple of races and a lot of interviews have been going around through Red Bull a lot of noises coming from particularly Dr Helmut Marko about who's going to be partnering Verstappen next year whilst we fought Originally, it was going to be Alex Albon. It seemed like that was going to be the case and that was going to happen. It seems now that Red Bull are perhaps looking at other options, i.e. Nico Hülkenberg, who was impressive once again, coming in for Lance Stroll this time to get that eighth place after starting last on the grid. It was an incredible drive from Nico after having literally no time to prepare at all. He's literally got into the last minute and went. Or the more seasoned Sergio Perez, who at the present, is looking for his seat next year after losing his seat to Sebastian Vettel. With this in mind, I'm going to ask you first, Courtney, now knowing what we do, do we think Alex Albon is still going to be in that Red Bull next year? And if not, who do you think is going to replace him? Will it be Hulkenberg, Perez, or perhaps someone else?
0: You know, Adam, that's a very interesting point. Um, I've wondered why there hasn't really been like much news when it comes to Perez and who's going to be a Hass next season or Alfa Romeo. He's kind of gone quiet, so it does it does seem as if there must be some kind of talks in the background with these teams, obviously particularly Red Bull, because obviously if Albon was to be replaced, that has a domino effect on which which seats are available and who goes where afterwards. So that is interesting. Um, but yeah, onto your previous point, um, I've. I've raised it in previous episodes I'd love to see Sergio Perez in um, the Red Bull but I would also like to see Hulkenberg have a seat in Formula 1 because the performance he put on last weekend is a prime example why he shouldn't have even left in the
2: first place
1: And what about you Lee?
2: Oh, um, I would just to pretty really catch on the back of Corny's point, I would agree that Hulkenberg shouldn't have ever left the sport, but it was pretty much out of his hands um so going on to your questions about the rumors yeah i would i would also agree with Corney that i think there are talks going on behind the scenes with red bull regarding sergio perez and nico holpenberg and um, the fact that there is noise being made by red bull that Marcos, they may consider even consider it means that they may be already laying the groundworks for a, a, a Red Bull U turn, so to speak, that they're going to maybe hire outside their uh, driver, young driver program. Um, so I, I do think something is going on. Um, but before who I would choose to go in that team, I, I would probably say my guess would be, my preference, I should say, will be Nico. Because um, I, I think Alex is a very good driver, but I think he's out of his depth within that Red Bull team. Um, what I would do, um, I've mentioned to the issue previously, Adam, is get rid of Kvyat. I'm afraid his his moments gone, and put Pierre and uh, Alex in uh, that team together. And I think there will be a nice rivalry off of each other, similar level drivers, and they can actually pull the AlphaTauri forward because they they can build that up together. Um, and like Pierre's found his mojo, Alex can refine his. Um, but then obviously leaves the question of Red Bull having a solid number two as much as it hurts to say that about Nico or even Sergio um, there's what Red Bull need Um, and Nico and Sergio both have the experience and know how to get out the tyres and get the performance and personally I would love Nico to get a podium (laughs) to just break that record and obviously if he joined Haas that's probably not going to happen but if he that's just a sweet thinking if he join Red Bull, obviously he may end up on the podium and get rid of that horrible record that he's got. Um, yeah, so that, that's what I think about it.
1: Yeah, i make you rightly. I don't think Nika Holkenberg's really going to be interested in coming back to the sport if Huss is the only city available to him, unless there's signs that he's combined to a long-term project where Haas can use the budget cap, as we talked about earlier, to try and improve up the field. Even so, that's still a huge ask for a team that can really only boast fifth or sixth place finish uh, in Australia uh, quite a few years ago as their best result. And back in the time where their best time was when they had the 2017 Ferrari, if you like, in 2018, and they weren't able to capitalize on that in, in the way that Racing Point um, ha- have kind of struggled in fairness to capitalize on the Mercedes W10 that they've been driving this season um, to some degree, but you know, all puns aside, but um I mean, the Alex Albon situation is an interesting one because, you know, Dr. Helmut Marko has said quite openly that, you know, with Alex they need a competitive driver. They accept that they're looking for a number two, so they're not expecting Alex to beat Max Verstappen on a regular basis. They would say a good buffer is around a quarter of a second, free temps to Max on ultimate pace, and that's still quite a lot. Most drivers in Formula 1 don't really want to be that much slower. I mean, no one wants to be slower than their teammate, but if you're three tenths of a second slower than your teammate, an outright pace, alarm bells are ringing. In Red Bull, because of how good Max is, and Red Bull accept that, they do have quite a large buffer. So at least we know what sort of pace we can gauge for Alex Albon. And Dr. Elmot Marco said that, you know, the performance in Soshi following the Magella race wasn't very good. And the Nurburgring, it was a mixed bag, but significantly better than what we saw in Soshi but then Alex did make mistakes he ruined that first set of tyres that he had early on very nearly drove into the back of um, one of the Ferraris on the first lap I think it was Charles Leclerc and you know they said he was closer to Max at the Nürburgring I'm not so sure and in fairness to Alex Albon that car at the sort of pace that they expect Alex to be getting should be in a lonely fourth position or at best ahead of everybody else you know, behind Max and the two Mercedes. And he struggled to do that this season. And I think that's something that they're probably thinking, well, you know, Alex is a somewhat reliable driver. He's a nice guy. He gets on well. He's very easy to work with. But ultimately, he's exuding similar signs to what basically, or similar worries to what they had with Pierre Gasly, except this time they were quite blunt with Gasly. They just gave him the boot and demoted him. A move down to AlphaTauri, I don't think would be a bad thing, but like we saw with Gasly, that doesn't necessarily warrant that by performing well, you're going to get back into that Red Bull seat. Because with Gasly, they've pretty much shut the door on that one. I think one thing we can agree is that Danny Kvyat does look like, unfortunately for him, that his time in Formula 1 might be numbered, or his days at least might be numbered. So we'll have to see what's happening there. Speaking of the young driver programme, and I'll put this question to you both, Yuki Tsunoda is a name that we've seen mentioned quite a lot was very impressive in uh, Japan's Super Formula, obviously moved into Formula 2 this season. Very, very impressive. Has won a race this season in F2. And until recently, has been challenging for the championship. He's been given a seat fit at Alpha Tauri. Do we think that perhaps Yuki Tsunoda might be a name that might surface at the later stages and may end up with a seat in Formula 1 next season? Or do you think that that's someone that they may have on the back burners if they demote, Albon to Alpha Tauri until an opportunity might present itself the season afterwards. What do you both think on that topic?
0: Uh, if don't mind me answering first, um, it all depends on, as I say, it was the the knock-on effect, the domino effect. Because I mean, as much as you want your young drivers to get an opportunity, and we've discussed this many times. You want to give young drivers an opportunity, but with the limited amount of seats that are available that's quite difficult and it'd just be a shame to have some experienced drivers. And obviously, if you're running a team, you want to have the experienced drivers. You want the drivers that you know, will go on to get you the results that you maybe didn't possibly expect to get. And you would get that with the likes of um, Perez and Hulkenberg. So it'd be a real shame if it's to see one of them not be around next season. Um, I just hope that, yeah, I just hope that one of them do get that seat and, uh, I think another season F2 would do Sinodra a lot of good, to be honest.
2: And, uh, Lee? Um, yeah, I was just saying because I would probably agree with Corny's answer there. Um, also, I think it's with Honda's news that they're going to be walking away at the end of next year. I think it's going to be less honest on Red Bull to pursue him up into Formula One, because I think, at least in my opinion, that was more a marriage with Honda about getting up a Japanese driver back into Formula 1, and now Honda walking away, there's less emphasis on trying to do that.
1: I mean, there was the rumour as well, potentially, about Pierre Gasly going to Renault next season to replace Esteban Ocon. It does seem a bit far-fetched that that one to happen. I know Ocon's not had the best of returns to Formula 1 with Renault. It has took him a while to get used to this car, and Renault, obviously, we're envisaging, you know, A young French talent that could you know come into this back into the sport like O'Connor driver with a lot of potential similar to Verstappen and he hasn't been able to realize that this season if anything he's found himself languishing behind his current teammate Daniel Ricciardo do you see that rumor have any legs with Pierre Gasly because it could be a good move for him and let's be honest I think he does need to leave that Red Bull set up eventually because I just can't see a way back for him at Red Bull. Is that for Adam? Either one of you, weigh <laughs> in.
0: Um, yeah, I, I like, that's a, quite an interesting point because it, it might have changed since uh, since I saw the story, but I'm pretty sure that Ocon and Gasly have fallen out. Apparently they were friends um at the younger years, but they had a few coming together and a lot was said off track, which uh, has led to there being quite a sour relationship between the two. So that would hurt Ocon quite a lot if he was to lose that seat. But I think you're right though Adam I think it would be good for Pierre Gasly to leave the Red Bull program he hasn't been particularly treated well um and he does he needs that fresh start we've seen it we've seen it with other drivers that have gone on to leave their junior programs and have gone on to do good things so you're right for his, um, for his sake, I think it, a, a move to Renault would be great for him he just won't be um at this point want to be um at Ocon if that was happening. Though.
2: Mm. How about you Lee? Well, I would say, if anything, we've learned this year that Formula One contracts don't mean anything anymore. Um, so the fact that a driver driver's being talked about with a, a replacing a driver that's already in contract, last year I said no, no chance, but based on what's already happened this year, yeah, that, that potentially could happen. Um, I do agree. I think Pierre is looking to get out of the Red Bull family. He's, he's fed up that he can't get back into that Red Bull, even though he's performing well. Um, it reminds me slightly of how Red Bull treated Carlos Sainz and when they chose Verstappen over him um, and obviously Carlos worked his way out of the Red Bull family and was performing quite well in that McLaren um, and so I think that's what Pierre wants to do if he replaces Esteban, yeah, I, I'm not too sure if that's actually going to happen but it may be something that could be lining up for 2022 Um onwards um, but it's definitely a, an interesting topic especially as Esteban gave up his Mercedes Junior Um seat to rejoin Renault he doesn't have that as a fullback option right? he's still managed by Mercedes so he could probably easily rejoin it but being getting demoted and losing another Formula 1 seat that could potentially just ruin Esteban's career obviously Renault aren't thinking about ruining Drive's career because they've got to think about the team um so yeah it's definitely an interesting rumor it's a very much a watch this space
1: Mm, no i absolutely agree and um i mean when formula one drivers tend to lose their seat out of the sport it's very hard for them to get back so a second opportunity where he ends up losing a seat a second time you almost feel like there's no way back for him at least in formula one especially with the such few number of seats that are available every year since the one problem that we have until things change is the lack of seats that are available so That always seems to be a problem. One rumor I did see this week that uh, you both also saw as well that I didn't expect that I would be seeing is the potential prospect of George Russell losing his seat next year. Now, George Russell's under contract till 2021. We were under the impression that his seat was nailed on for Williams for at least one more season. And uh, the obvious obstacle for George is the fact that there's no intermediate seat to the Mercedes seat, which we expected he would eventually be promoted into. He's always been very impressive in qualifying. He's been referred to as Mr. Saturday, never been beaten by a teammate in qualifying in his short career, even though his Sunday performances, some have been good, some have been not so much, still yet to score a point. But rumours have surfaced recently that Dimitri Mazepin, who, for those of you who don't know, Nikita Mazepin's father, Nikita, a race winner in F2, been there for quite a while now, very good John Driver, looking for his way into Formula One. His father, Dimitri, looking to try and invest in a Formula One team or put some money into in exchange to getting his son Nikita a seat. One of those teams in particular that they've spoken to is Williams. They've also spoken to Haas as well. But with Williams, it's a bit of a difficult situation because Nicholas Latifi also signed up for next season, has financial backing, and Williams have since got new owners in Doralton Capital. So they're not controlled by the Williams family anymore um, after the Mugello Grand Prix was... um, the Williams last race um, under the ownership of Frank Williams and run by his daughter. I suppose the question is how likely do you feel that George Russell's seat could be under threat from Nikita Mazepin? And what would that mean for someone like George Russell, who's, you know, former FT champion or potential in the world to suddenly find himself without a seat in 2021 Lee, I'm going to ask you first. On that one because this is quite a, a potentially interesting topic if it does come to fruition
2: yeah um i would say it's an interesting topic with the with mazapin obviously any money that is brought to williams will have to counter at the loss of the discount on the mercedes engine and then then some on top of that which i'm sure mazapin could bring Yeah. so because dimitri does have a good amount of wealth i can't remember the exact number i have i have looked up in the past um So I'm sure he could bring that money to counteract the the lack of the discount. Um, And as I'd said in my previous point with Esteban, contracts don't mean anything at the moment in Formula 1. But if George is to lose his seat, unlike Esteban, he's still in the Mercedes Junior program. And what would probably happen is he would just be a reserve driver for Mercedes, sit in the garage for next year, and then potentially replace Bottas for 2022. Because uh, uh, that that room is was persisting, replacing Bottas this year, replacing Bottas last year. It's will they replace Bottas? Has been going on for a couple of years, um, and obviously Lewis isn't going to be around forever either. Um, so it's not there. It wouldn't be a, a career killing decision for George if he was to lose his seat. I don't. I hope he doesn't lose his seat. Um, I think he uh, he warrants his position in the sport on his performances. So it's it's an interesting thing to see what happened, but the fact that the rumor has surfaced means there are talks going on in the background. Rumors don't come out of nothing. There has to be a basis, even how substantial it is, is a different matter. There is something going on. That's all. I, I, that's that's my penny for it. <laughs> what about you, Colt?
0: Yeah, it'd be a massive shame because you know we've all touched on it recently. Um, that we've gone from speaking about him being possibly in a Mercedes to him not being at the sport in the sport. World, even if it's temporary, um, but it just goes back to that that big argument, isn't it, about Formula One drivers, whether they're there through sheer talent or because of the investment they, they bring. It's been a big debate in the past, and it would it, it would stir up uh, if you had both Sergio Perez and George Russell leave Formula One this year. Because of Lance Stroll and and pin that would definitely bring up the argument, and I think, yeah, it would definitely stir up the fan base quite a lot. Because George Russell was, uh, as I said, great drivers. Particularly said Adam, particularly on Saturday, he's done some great stuff like Williams, and he's been really unfortunate not to get that first point. And yeah, like no, you don't you don't want to lose something like George Russell, even if it's temporary, it would leave a lot of bad feeling, definitely. Hmm.
1: And I think it's just important to know that in a COVID world, a company like Doralton Capital, seeing an opportunity to recoup the initial investment they put in the team, Mm. um, or at least be able to get some money and to help develop the car um, a little bit more that they wouldn't need to spend themselves is always a positive. And if they feel that perhaps as talented as someone as George Russell is, that he's only going to be there temporarily until a better opportunity comes around, or perhaps it doesn't really need someone of his caliber in that car to move things forward. Then you know there is an assessment that needs to be made as to whether or not they feel it might be better to just put Nikita in the car with Nicholas TV or even Sergio Perez, if um, a at Haas doesn't materialise. Let's not forget Haas' situation because Mazepin has also spoken to Gunther Steiner at Haas about the possibility of putting his son in that seat next season. Of course, two seats, we believe, will become available, possibly. Uh, One of which may go to Callum He may not even get the opportunity at all. So, so much going on. And whilst the argument had, in recent years, gone away over paid drivers versus talent, it does seem that in a world of Formula One where we're still struggling to get teams, obviously there was that Team Pantera that's been looking at the possibility of being in the sport. We don't know whether that's going to happen. They may be priced out of it. Or... You know, New teams or manufacturers may not come to support until 2026 with the engine regulations, which of course we'll be debating in a future episode on that one. So definitely look forward to seeing that, guys, in the next couple of weeks. So, so much going on and lots of debate to be had on this situation. It's developing all the time and it looks like silly season in Formula One is finally here. It seems that Sebastian Vettel moving to Aston Martin has proven to be the catalyst we thought it may be. And uh, I'm pretty sure in the next couple of weeks, we will find out more confirmation as and when we get it. So with that in mind, guys... Uh, I think it's a good time to wrap this episode up. For those of you that are new to the DNF1 F1 podcast, thank you very, very much for joining in with this for this episode. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe if you're listening to us on YouTube. And of course, don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, DNF1 underscore podcast, and Facebook as well as YouTube, DNF1 dash F1 podcast. And also if you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, etc., thank you for joining us on that. Make sure to follow us as well. We've got plenty of other content coming your way In the next few weeks. So, all that's left to say for me is thank you, Lee, for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you on once again.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm sure I'll speak to you sometime soon.
1: Absolutely. We'll be having you on. Yeah, great stuff, Lee. Great stuff. Be having you on on a future episode in the future. And uh, Courtney, of course, joining me once again, my co host. Thanks for joining us once again. As always, been a pleasure. Always
0: a pleasure, Adam. Great stuff. Always a pleasure
1: and uh, and also thank you to you the audience for tuning in once again thank you for your support so far thank you to everyone that's listened to an episode of our podcast whether you started from the beginning of us on our journey eight months ago or if you're just shooting in for the first time we love having you here welcome aboard and hopefully you enjoy plenty of content to come so all that's left to say is thank you for joining us once again stay safe stay healthy and we will see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast
0: Podcast Network.